Welcome to episode 222 of CXO Talk. I'm Michael Krigsman, and we, are have, we have a really interesting show. We are going to be talking about artificial intelligence. We're going to be talking about machine learning, natural language processing, and we're going to be taking a development perspective from the point of view of people who are actually creating the products. And we have with us today two company CEOs, as well as a venture capitalist, an investor. So let's dive in. And Ed Sim, you are guest number one, or at least guest number one. I'm introducing you first. Uh, how are you? And thanks for being here. And tell us about, tell us about yourself. I'm good. Thanks for having me. I uh, really love your show. And I'm glad to be here with uh, two of uh, the founders from the Bold Start Fund. Um, so just real quickly, uh, I'm a founder and partner with Bold Start Ventures. We like to be the first uh, check in enterprise founders um, with respect to AI and ML, uh, et cetera. We don't particularly look for AI or ML companies. We look for enterprise businesses solving big problems. And if they happen to use AI or ML like Keith and Sean are doing, then that's uh, even more exciting for us. So I'm uh, looking forward to chatting about this. Fantastic. And you have been an enterprise investor for a long time. Yes, yes. Over 20 years, uh, done stuff on the back end on the SaaS side and um, uh, companies like Greenplum, GoToMeeting, LivePerson, along with uh, Init and Catalytic. Fantastic. Our second guest is Keith Brisson, who is CEO and founder of the company Init.ai. Hey, Keith, how are you? Excellent, Michael. Thank you for having me. So, uh, so Keith, tell us about Init.ai. Sure. Uh, Init.ai provides technologies to help uh, enterprises converse with consumers at scale. So we provide language understanding technology that helps them automate customer conversations, um, assist sales and support agents in live chat, and analyze conversations that take place between their users and their agents. Uh, these can be external facing conversations um, with consumers. It can be internal as well allowing employees to access information from systems of records, uh, CRMs, finance, et cetera. So, so essentially, would it be accurate to say you're building a uh, natural language processing slash AI, I hate that term, AI, <laughs> uh, toolkit that enables large companies to build their own products? Exactly. So we, we're providing the technology that lets them unlock the the data and the information within those conversations so they can incorporate them into their workflows, um, whether it's communicating with communicating with their customers um, or making their internal processes more efficient. Uh, it's our belief that we should be the ones who take that advanced technology and bring it to them rather than them needing to do it internally. Fantastic. Well, I'm looking forward, forward to diving in. And Sean Chu, you are the third member of our behind the scenes in AI panel. And you are the founder and CEO of Catalytic. Yeah, thank you for having me on. Uh, so Catalytic, uh, we create a product called Pushbot, and our customers using our product can uh, quickly and simply uh, create these process bots that leverage work orchestration, automation, and AI, uh, which I agree with you, by the way, as a term, it's definitely a little bit irritating, but... You know, I think it's popular and it captures a whole broad range of technologies, which I hope we'll talk a little bit more about. Uh, but with our product, our customers really focus on 
operational efficiency, uh, reducing the number of dot balls they might have, and tying together a lot of the peoples and the different systems uh, within their company. So you mentioned the term process bot. What yeah. is a process bot? Yeah, we as entrepreneurs, we feel obligated to make up terms. <laughs> no, that's that's good. And large companies do the same thing. No, but but seriously. So so what when you say process bot, tell us what you mean by that. Uh, so I, I say it mostly to separate us out from, let's say, chatbots, which are a really popular concept. Um, we do have conversational interface aspect to our platform. So in that regard, it's kind of got some chatbots, but that's not really the main purpose of what we do. Um, the main purpose of what we do is really, and the main purpose of what PushBot does as a bot is to push and promote a process. So we like to say process bot almost in a way to kind of constrain down what we're doing. So I think a good place to kick off this discussion is all three of you are very actively involved in the consideration of different types of AI and what does it mean? And Sean, maybe you can begin by helping us understand what do we mean by the term AI and what does it actually encompass? Yeah, for sure. Um, it, it certainly covers a lot of different things. And I think with all uh, major new technologies, there's always this retrospective period where people look back a little bit and say, hey, this kind of looks like it should be under this umbrella. And you get a lot of repackaging of, of uh, things that once maybe weren't part of AI, but now because it's a hot, buzzy topic, now get rebranded under AI. But I think generally when we think about AI, we think about it in three different categories. There's really strong AI, which is uh, trying to create basically machines that are able to think in a general sense, in the same way that you and I are able to think. So strong or general AI, there's only a handful of companies that really should be pursuing that. You need a ton of resources. It's the Google, Microsoft, Amazon, um, you know, of the world that are going to be able to win in that type of uh, space. Second category is really more weak AI or narrow AI. Um, and that's not as difficult. It's still extremely hard. But now what you've done is you've said, instead of a general thinking machine, we're going to be able to focus on a specific domain or a specific field. And so you see a lot of that in virtual assistants like uh, Asari or Amy Ingram or Clara, you know, these are folks who are saying we're going to create AI, but it's, and, and it's personality oftentimes, um, but it's going to only solve a very narrow set of problems. And then the third category, which I believe in it and I uh, both fall into, which is the users of the technology and the research has come out of all of this primary research on AI. So, we are beneficiaries of the research that's gone into natural language processing, sentiment analysis, machine learning, all the things that kind of power AI. We take that and we repackage it. We make it, at least in you know, Catalytics case, we make it available for the average business user so that they're able to use it within their processes. Um, and then we're using it uh, for our product in a very, very applied setting. So, you know, it's not machine learning to be, be able to act as a human. It's machine learning to help people figure out how to improve their business processes. Yeah, and Sean, I think that's a great point. I mean, that's kind of how we look at the world is applied AI. Um, I mean, AI is such a buzzy word these days. Everyone has AI in their business plan, the kind of time that everyone had .com in it back in the day. And yeah. the reality of it is, is what business problem are you solving? And, and 
applied AI is very exciting to us because you're not going to out Google kind of Google and AI learning or, or Facebook with, with that AI. But how do you leverage what's best out there and then apply it to enterprise data? That's the data that they don't have and can't get. And that's what I love about uh, what you guys are doing and, and what other companies are doing as well, is working on that private enterprise data and learning from that. Yeah. What are some of the really interesting use cases for this type of applied AI that any of the three of you are, are seeing? Well, I can, I can give a few examples. You know, we're, um, I mentioned we're focused on making customer conversations more efficient. Um, you know, right now, companies need to hire teams of agents to serve uh, their consumers in support and sales scenarios. And it's our belief that we can take technology um, that happens to be using machine learning to make that process more efficient by offloading some of the routine portions of that to the, to the, to the computer um, so that the agent doesn't have to go through those routine uh, processes themselves. Um, you know, so that's, for us, it's uh, helping displace the actions that people would have to take otherwise. Uh, in kind of a more broad, broad scope, Machine learning is incredibly powerful in finding patterns in data. Um, so you see it in all areas of, of enterprise uh, uses where you're trying to detect signals in large volumes of data that matter to the business. So um, you know, in finance, it's been used for fraud detection um, for ages where you're trying to find uh, something that really matters to the business in this mass set of data. Um, and that's just going to expand where you have more and more data coming in from different sources, you need to figure out how to extract real value from that unstructured data to make your business more efficient. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. I, you know, it's interesting, and I don't think it's a coincidence that AI is the trend right after kind of data science. Like, remember, like, if this were a year ago, we'd all be saying data science. Um, and, but I, I think there's a reason for that is because data science ended up producing so much data and, and kind of cheap storage, cheap processing power, just created so much data that data science came in and said, how do we make sense of this data? But we've actually reached a point where people have thrown up their hands and said, we can't make sense of this data. And so we really need other things to make sense of this data. And those other things ends up being AI. And that actually ends up being a great initial use case for AI. Um, which is definitely one of the areas in which we use it. I think also like key, uh, the notion of AI being used for human augmentation as opposed to trying to replace humans is, I think, still the right current curve for AI. I mean, we focus entirely on human augmentation. How do we take processes that have people and make people all more effective? Yeah, I, I think that's a great, great point. I mean, you know, I invested in Green Plum back in the day solving the, the big data problem. Now it's part of the EMC and Pivotal. Um, and we coined the term smart data five or six years ago, meaning, you know, you've got all this data. I mean, there's three certainties in life. It's uh, mm -hmm. taxes, death, and the growth of data. <laughs> so, you know, when you go back to the applied AI and the learning, that's kind of the next phase. And with the, with the advent of GPUs and great neural networking models in the cloud, I think it makes it more accessible to all of us uh, from that perspective. So when you look at any manual human process, you know, including like security, we invested in a company called Security Scorecard that um, allows you to look at the security posture of a company from the outside in using tons of data. We do classification, 
uh, clustering, we do uh, use regression analysis, all that stuff to come up with scores on security. So it can be anything from internal data entry, business processes, but also externally we can use it for security as well. So it's, it's a pretty broad, broad field. So there are, there, there are so many different areas and applications where patterns can emerge and technology can help discern those patterns. From a business person standpoint, how, how can they go about figuring for their, determining for their own business, for their own processes, where it makes the most sense to apply these types of machine intelligence, uh, machine intelligence technologies? Yeah, I think this is an area where, uh, Keith, you look really young, but I'm not going to make a call on your age. But certainly like Ed and I, you know, we being like old guys in technology. I think we would say if you're if you're looking at this from a, a business user perspective, AI is just a shiny object. You know, if you're looking at how to uh, assess AI companies, I mean, stay focused on the business problem and realize that AI is a solution. I mean, when we set out to create Catalytic, we didn't say, hey, we're going to create an AI company. You know, we said, hey, we think the problem is that business processes are still horrible, awful, and despite all the technological advances that we have, they're still horrible and awful, and we need to do something about that. And sometimes AI is the right answer, and sometimes it's not. So we have AI for some things, but it's not, you know, certainly our solution doesn't revolve or hang its hat entirely around AI. And I would say for the business person, they should have that same like that same mindset. What's the business problem? What's the value that's going to be created? AI is just you know a new big shiny tool that it's hard to ignore. The one caveat I would put to that is AI is um, it opens the door to a new category of problems that previously would have been almost intractable feeling, just like trains and automobiles in the industrial age now allowed for low-cost nationwide distribution, right? AI is going to open up a new category of problems that we're able to tackle that previously we were just like, we can't tackle this. It's, it's just, you know, unaddressable. So I think you'll see a lot of those. But there's, there's a point at which I am now confused. So on the one hand, you, you mentioned that AI is just a shiny object. And by the way, in doing that, you have just taken the wind out of the sails of half the technology uh, marketing departments in the country, in the world. Okay? I'm going to be getting a lot of hate Twitter, yeah, okay. a lot of hate okay. tweet. But at the same time, at the same time, you said that AI creates a, a whole new set of problems that can be solved or, or types of solutions to problems. And so, so how do you how do you reconcile the fact that on the one hand it's just technology, and on the other hand the implications are are so profound? So if you have just an AI solution out there and it's not solving anything, it's just a shiny object that has no meaning. But if there's a new problem that you're now able to solve as a result of AI, you know, to me it's kind of like what it does is it broadens the uh, scope of types of things that technology can solve. So I, in that sense, it is remarkable. Um, but at the end of the day, it still has to be solving a business problem. And I think one of the big dangers whenever you have these buzzy, trendy things is that people just start saying, we're an AI company, but they ignore the business problem that they're really tackling. So, you know, I guess I'm like trying to speak out of both sides of my mouth here, but I'm, and, and, but I think there's truth to this because on one hand, AI, 
does now allow for solving things that we just would not have thought were solvable. And in fact, going back to what I was saying about it being a response to big data, like big data and data science felt like it had reached this point where we just didn't even know what to do with all this data. So AI actually opens the door to being able to really significantly, meaningfully address petabytes of data that are coming in on a real-time basis. Um, but, you know, if it weren't doing that for a purpose, it's pointless. So, right? so, so Keith, uh, yeah. how do you, with your company and your customers, how do you go beyond the AI as a shiny object into AI that something is really, is, is something being, uh, that's, that's really useful in a very practical sense? Yeah, so we're 100% in agreement with what Sean said, that ultimately our goal as technology providers should not be to provide a technology, it should be to solve a business use case. So there happens to be the letters AI in our name, init AI, um, but we don't generally talk about the technology. That's not what we advertise when we're talking to companies. We talk about the use cases that we can help them be more efficient in and the problems that we can help them solve. And to Sean's point, I, I kind of cringe when I see other companies really advertising the technology, focusing on the fact that they're an AI company, because it tends to mean that they're not focusing on solving your actual problem as a business. Um, so what we always strive to message is, how can we make your employees more efficient? How can you, we you know, increase your revenue, decrease your cost, not what kind of neural network we're deploying into your system? Uh, because that's not really what matters at the end of the day. So, you know, for us, yeah, we're an AI-powered company, but we are not an AI company. Uh, we're a we're a, we're solving business problems. So, does that answer your question? Yeah, and I think Ed, and certainly from what you were saying earlier, when you you invest, you're also investing in companies that are solving uh, business problems. Although they may be using AI to uh, produce those solutions. In a, in a better way. Absolutely. And, and AI is like not a panacea in the sense that, you know, robots today or AI is not going to replace every human, right? So the question is, is, you know, I've been very interested in human augmentation using AI to do, do things better, faster, more efficient. I, I think that's a tough sales proposition. If a company comes in and says, I'm going to replace everyone. That just, you know, the question then is, you automate things, you do things 5x faster, 10x faster, what else can those employees do? And that, that to me is more exciting. So if I were a business and we talk to a lot of CIOs, I ask them, tell me about two or three pressing problems. You know, what's the low hanging fruit inside of that business that can, can be partially automated? Some of that could be automated data entry, right? There's tons of people doing that. Um, look at anything that's put offshore. All that stuff that's put offshore, you know, remember that big trend back in the day? A lot of that's going to be replaced with, AI, you know, <laughs> and so, you know, we think about that customer service, right? Uh, that's another area that's ripe for um, uh, uh, disruption as well. Uh, accounting, right? AR and AP kind of gathering that data, loading it up and trying to automate. So what you want at the end of the day is I don't care about the AI. If I'm a SaaS company or, or a software company, I want to look at that dashboard that the end user uses and give me answers. Don't give me a mess of beautiful data and visual screens. I want to go to that screen and say, hey, these are the three companies you need to call today so you can get paid. I mean, that's what I want. I want answers. So that's what I want AI to do for me. Not give me tons of dashboards, but give me an answer. Make sense of that data and give me something that I can really trust. One yeah. thing to keep in mind, Michael, is that we're, we're really just at the start of this. You know, people are using the word AI as though 
the strong AI that, that Sean explained at the start it exists today. The fact is it doesn't. Um, you know, we don't have computers thinking like humans today, and we're not going to in the near term. So we're not going to be able to replace one for one a human with a computer. So what we need to do is take those techniques, apply them to specific verticals, specific use cases within them where we can see real value generated today. Um, so, you know, AI as a term, I think many people think about it aspirationally for where it's going, and it is going there. Uh, and companies like ours and Sean's are going to help get us there in conjunction with the big guys who are doing some of the pure research. Um, but today, there, we can take pieces of that, take pieces of what is going to get us to that point in the future and solve real business cases today. So there's a little bit of conflation of terms. It's a, you know, it's, it's a real buzzword, but there's value there in the pieces and how they can be applied. We have an interesting question from Scott Weitzman on Twitter, who's asking, how do you, what are the key elements that you can use to classify or differentiate AI on the spectrum from technology to business in order to help businesses understand the nature of the, the kinds of problems that AI can solve? In other words, how do you explain it well to businesses? So they get it. So, you know, I think what we've, we've certainly faced this challenge when we're describing how we help augment uh, or replace humans in customer support. And, you know, we're, we're very clear with companies that we're not creating something that mimics a human. Um, what we're doing is we're making the business process more efficient and really focusing on those um, particular uh, segments where we can apply the technology. And I think it's a matter of detecting the messaging. Um, so if a company comes to you and they're telling you about the, the AI technology and not telling you how they're going to help your business, you know, that should raise a little, little uh, red flag, raise an eyebrow for you uh, to look in a little bit more deeply. So I, I'd say, you know, when you're trying to evaluate these solutions, really consider what business process uh, it's trying to solve. And the ones that are appropriate for that are ones that where there's a, a fair amount of data that is unstructured and that needs understanding around that. Um, it could be language data, it could be financial data, it could be anything else. Um, so, yeah, I find it comes into two camps on enterprises, and it just depends on the use case. It comes down to, um, I can help you be smarter, i.e. there's predictive natures of AI, so whether it's a marketing dashboard or, or just help you make decisions faster. So that's one aspect of a pitch, and then you can backfill that with whatever problem you're solving. And the other is um, I help you save a lot of time and money so that you can free up your resources. I think there's two different kinds of approaches, predictive versus kind of the general um, saving money aspect. Um, and that's kind of the business problems of how AI helps you. Or to put it into broader terms, uh, you have the efficiency aspect and then say, should we say the, the innovation aspect? Sure. Yeah. Uh, let's change gears here and talk about when you're thinking of designing your products and developing your products, is it different when you start incorporating AI related technologies from traditional software development what are the differences how do you how do you think about it differently design products differently skills and so forth um i think there is a there is a difference but it's largely in the newness of ai technologies um if i were to replace the word ai and just say like database for example 
you know, when, when I think about a product, there's no challenge in where our database lies in the architecture or solution set of our, our product or the features that it can enable. Um, AI, I can think of in the same way as a component that I can leverage, but it's new. So it's kind of unlocking a, a set of features and a set of capabilities that we haven't, like the patterns just aren't as well established. I think some are, and that's why among a lot of AI-oriented companies, there's a common set of things that are very common. Like you'll see sentiment analysis a lot, you'll see natural language processing a lot, you'll see, you'll see machine learning a lot. These are patterns that have emerged as an output. And so those are kind of a little bit, uh, I don't want to say no-brainers, but they're established patterns that product architects can really use and leverage whether they're engineering or thinking about the product from a product management perspective. But there's a lot more use cases that we haven't really quite figured out yet because of the newness of the technology. How, it, it, oh, oh, please, go ahead, Keith. Yeah, I wanted to mention it. It definitely requires a little bit of thinking, at least in terms of the implementation level, because there's generally the requirement for data. Um, if you're using a, a solution provider, they can offer that data up front to help you get started, uh, it may not be a consideration, but data plays a role in any kind of application of AI and machine learning today. And if you talk with the solutions provider, that is going to be the concern, like how do you get the data to make this thing more efficient? And the other thing to consider is that these AI systems and machine learning systems, they evolve over time uh, based on feedback cycles, or at least they should. So you, you, know, you can get an immediate, the the value that you get from these kind of uh, solutions up front, it tends to increase over time um, as they've seen uh, more more cases and there have been more feedback cycles. So uh, it's a little bit different in that it's not static, it's something that's evolving over time. Hey Michael, can I add one other piece? I think Keith makes a good point on the data itself. And if you're selling in enterprises, any type of solution that leverages their data, uh, I think a big question, no matter how many folks talk about the cloud, is, you know, can you drop it on-prem? And I don't know if, you, if, if either of you have been asked that question, but it seems to me that every company that we have uh, leveraging some type of data uh, and to run kind of AI on top of it uh, asks is, can you drop it? Because I can't move the data. There's all these regulations, and I need it private. I'm just curious what you guys have heard. Well, we get that all the time, especially since a lot of the innovation in AI has come from large companies that have a tendency to suck up data, you know, the Googles of the world, which most enterprises are not willing to trust um, with their valuable customer data. So we get that all the time, but data is, is a requirement, right? So our philosophy, at least, is to provide um, our own data to help, you know, get things started. So like in our case, it's a general uh, language understanding data. Uh, but then let companies maintain control over the data that's specific to them. Um, you know, our strategy on that is to offer on-premise uh, or you know, virtual cloud uh, installation so they can maintain control over that. Because the simple fact is most companies don't want their data training other companies' data sets, yep. uh, at least, especially in regulated industries like healthcare and finance. Yeah. Data is definitely the... Uh, kind of the muck side of AI that people like to not talk as much about. But it is really important, I think, for any company that's really looking at AI and how what their AI strategy is going to be over time, uh, which, which I think, you know, we all are in agreement there should not be an AI strategy. There should be kind of a business strategy powered and enabled by some AI tech. But 
you know, you have to get your data policies in order. So they definitely have to have points of view on uh, where data resides, how it's owned, and so forth. And I don't think there's a right answer right now. Um, certainly, you know, to Ed's point, we, we get the questions too of, hey, where, where exactly is this data? Where does it reside? Um, it becomes a bigger problem once you start talking about a global context, right? Because then it's no longer just uh, U.S. privacy issues. You have entire governments that have a very strong perspective on where physically the data should reside. When you, we have a company for that too. <laughs> that, that, that's called Big ID, and we do use AI and machine learning to tell you where the data is, where it's located, and we attach it to a unique ID before people kind of run scenarios on top of that. So, <laughs> so you got all your bases covered. <laughs> you got Ed, it. I think. Yeah. Ed is clearly looking at all the different facets of this in order to cover, as you say, cover his bases. This this issue of the data is so important. And would it be accurate or inaccurate to say that for companies uh, that are thinking about AI, that it's actually a data situation rather than an AI technology situation or question? Is that accurate or inaccurate? To say? I would say it's pretty accurate, right? Because uh, a couple of things, I'm so bullish on the enterprise and kind of leveraging kind of machine learning in the enterprise, because once again, a lot of these folks don't want to give their data to Google to train them, right? That's Google's model. Hey, I'll, I'll, I'll give it to you for free. I'll open source it. Same with Facebook and with that AI. But there's tons of value sitting inside of enterprises, right? And the more data that you have, the better you can train, the better you can predict. So the question really is, is, I'm dropping something on-prem and I've got healthcare data, that's interesting. But if somehow I can kind of tie that healthcare data anonymously with other healthcare data from other companies, then you start creating a powerful data co-op and you can make better predictions. So I think data is definitely a weapon and there's definitely a weapon in the enterprise space. It's definitely a weapon, but it's not even all that you need. You know, the, um, the technology and the skills required to process that data and turn it into something actionable um, are are pretty technical and, and tend to be a distraction for most companies. Um, so the you know for most companies you can have the data, but you also need the expertise to be able to transform that into something that's actually usable uh, within your business. And that's something that it it tends to not make sense for companies to build themselves. So I think that's the, that's at least is our um, our premise is that we should provide that technology so that businesses can stay focused. That's a really interesting. That, oh, oh, please oh, go ahead, Sean. I was just going to add. I, I think that the data is uh, certainly essential for the majority of AI applications right now, and it's largely a function of where we are. I mean, for narrow AI, for tech, you know, for machine learning, for developing a neural network, you, you need data and you need a feedback loop to improve that neural network. Um, but as we start getting more and closer to more general AI or even very well understood things, like you don't really need to train sediment analysis that much now because, you know, that's a more general application. So you're already seeing some applications and outputs from general AI research that doesn't really need to be trained. So I think that that shift will occur over the next you know, decade or two, where we right now need a ton of data, especially for domain-specific applications, and we're going to see more and more general AI come out that won't need the training as much and won't need as much data powering it. This whole... Yeah, I, I actually absolutely agree with that. It's Data is almost a crutch right now because the techniques around that general AI have yet to be developed. Um, so it, data, it's, 
it's replacing those sophisticated techniques that are on the horizon. It seems like a uh, it's it's quite a paradigm shift to some degree for people in the enterprise who are thinking about AI because they, they they are tending to think in terms through the lens of the technology rather than because it's so new rather than necessarily thinking first and foremost about the business problem and then the fact that so much of AI involves patterns and therefore requires that large volume of data. It requires a different way of thinking of how you how you go about solving problems. So there is an education process, I think, that is still having to take place. And the result of this is all of the hype in the software industry and the technology industry, because you can basically say whatever we want about AI. You know, everybody's got an AI, right? I've got an AI. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And so how do you so so. I, w I was talking with on this show with James Sham, who is with Bloomberg Beta recently, and he was saying that we need a framework for making decisions inside the enterprise investment decisions. And so, Ed, maybe let, let me toss it back to you. When you think about uh, investment decisions in, that involve AI, what are some of the criteria and things that you think about? Well, I don't try to, to make a specific technology decision on AI investing. I mean, first and foremost, we tend to be uh, investing in technically driven founders like Ethan Sean. So for us, it's deep domain expertise and understanding of the business problem they're solving. If they didn't come to me and say, I'm building an AI company, right? They came to me and said, I'm solving this problem. It's a big, big opportunity. And by the way, we're, uh, one of our core kind of uh, pieces of technology will be some use of AI. And then we dug in through that a little bit. But that wasn't kind of the main reason we funded. So I think that's really, really important. It's just like every other tech trend out there. Back in the day, it was Java. You know, there are Java funds out there. Then it was everything was mobile. And now it's AI. But guess what? I view AI as just like water. I mean, it's like electricity. Every company in the next five years, every technology company is going to use some form of AI. If they're not using it today, they'll use some form of it. So I don't view that as a separate industry per se. That's why I like to say applied AI. What business problem you're solving and how are you doing it 10x faster or 10x cheaper? Uh, and if you do both, that's a, an amazing order of magnitude improvement. Totally. Like, is there a web company today? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But there were. I mean, 10 years ago or 15 years ago, time flies. Uh, you know, 15, 17 years ago, there were web companies, but there's no web company today. Well, if you think about it, sales, when Salesforce started, they said, we're doing this Salesforce automation over the web yep. because it was it was new and it was unique. And so so your feeling is that given some certain amount of time going forward, AI techniques will be incorporated just about everywhere, essentially. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm 100 percent convinced of that. And we're talking a lot about machine learning and uh, human augmentation, but there's just a lot of even simpler things like AI um, applying a lot of AI principles just makes better products because you're asking the person to do less thinking yeah. because the product can do more of it on behalf of the person. So even you're going to see a lot of very subtle influences of AI because it's just better product. It's just, you know, lowers the cognitive computing costs on the human's side. Uh, I love that, Sean. I think about great, great AI is invisible to the end user. It just works. It's really easy and it just works. There's low, no friction involved. And I think that that's what great AI is. And that's why Echo is kind of cool. I mean, it doesn't fully work all the time, but you just talk to it and it works. 
most yeah. of the time. <laughs> but that's why I think great AI is. And the, that experience to bring that to the enterprise and answer enterprise level uh, problems, uh, that is pretty exciting to me. And, that, and no one's kind of doing that yet. And we hope to do bits and pieces of that with, with you know, Catalyst and Knit. But I think that's a huge, huge opportunity. What you are know, the- we, work, we work so hard for end users to be, to say, wait, what just happened there? I, I didn't, what, <laughs> you know, like that doesn't seem like it was really a lot. Uh, but they don't appreciate how much work had to go behind the scenes to make this little magical moment happen. Yeah. What are the inhibitors or the obstacles that pre- prevent this kind of adoption that Ed was just talking about in the enterprise? What needs to be in place to make it happen on a broader scale? Personally, I just think it's a matter of time. Um, you know, there are different companies tackling different components of it. And it's a matter of, it's a lot of it's integration. Um, so um, as data becomes more connected between different parts of the enterprise, uh, you enable new ways of um, taking these techniques and surfacing uh, value um, to people within it. So uh, to me, it's just a matter of time. It's a matter of these, uh, these tools being incorporated into the workflows where you don't, you're not going to really see them. Um, yeah. I would also say there's an infrastructure answer to that too. Um, a lot of enterprises we talked to, I'm sure you talked to Michael as well, kind of replatforming technologies, evaluating how to bring hybrid cloud into the, into their enterprise. I mean, look at Pivotal. Pivotal just announced $270 million um, uh, the, uh, last year from, from one-third of the Fortune 100 to help them think about infrastructure and cloud. So once you have an agile kind of platform to build off of, that makes it that much more uh, easier to develop and deploy an AI plugin on top of their existing application. So I think part of that, too, is just what the underlying infrastructure looks like. Yeah, and it, it's getting there. You know, we, we talked with enterprises who a few years ago, all of their data was siloed in different systems with no interconnectivity. Uh, we talked to them today, and they actually have internal APIs and ways of connecting data together, which actually enable these kind of applications. So um, I think we're right on the cusp of the point where enterprises have enough or are getting enough connectivity uh, between their different you know, data stores uh, that we can start seeing like applications really blossom uh, into the Know, every part of the enterprise. Keith raises I think a, one of the biggest oh. inhibitors right now is actually just a lack of clarity as to exactly what AI is. Because on one hand, you have you know the the extreme end of the spectrum that actually creates fear, the whole Terminator Skynet type of AI, um, all the way to on the other end where people have said you know hey I just like whipped together this thing and it's AI, but a technologist will potentially look at that and be like that's not really AI. You're just like expression, regular expression matching, right? Yeah. So you have these extremes of what AI, what's being proposed and packaged as AI and that lack of clarity and that buzziness of it all actually makes it very hard for people to adopt because they have to wade through all of this crop to get to the real business value behind whatever the product is. Well, like I said before, it seems like virtually every technology company is selling an AI. Yeah. Hey, I have a couple of AIs. You want to buy one? Yeah. But- <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's right. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think it the, the probably the most extreme example is where they try to portray it as a single AI. You know, this kind of all-knowing mind that can perform these superhuman tasks. Well, the fact is, generally, what they have is a collection of machine learning-powered APIs or services that enable individual things, and they may sell it as this kind of 
super knowing mind that's going to you know form Skynet uh, in Terminator, but the fact is they're not. Um, and it's as long as business people recognize that they're those individual, you know that that all knowing mind may not exist, but the individual components can provide a real you know real concrete value. Um, it shouldn't be a reason to not adopt those technologies just because it's not uh, living up to that hype. Yeah. In fact, the AI industry or, or people who have AI almost do a great disservice by overhyping AI. And so we try to, the minute we have a conversation with a, a customer or prospect, demystify what it is we do specifically and say, this is very tactically how we use AI technology, uh, because we want to very quickly get to the value that we're adding and not be kind of caught in this whirlwind of AI and this buzz of AI. I think if you let yourself get caught in that and if you leave too much on it, you're always going to disappoint. Uh, you're going to disappoint people because you're not ever going to live up to the science fiction portrayal of AI, uh, at least not for the next you know few years. Well, yeah, I think the reality of it is, is when you talk to enterprise buyers, they don't say, I need an AI, right? I need AI, right? It's like, I have this problem, and if you can save me, you know, 30% or do things, you know, once again, faster, then it's interesting to me. And if you leverage AI, very cool, but that's not my checkbox, right? And that, that's not the checkbox item. So I think you also need to think about the budgets, why they're buying things, and what ROI are you providing? And, and AI, in my mind, can help create incredible ROI. You've got to apply it to something. We have just about four minutes left, and maybe we can just go around the virtual room, as it were, and let me ask each of you for your advice to business buyers, to people in the enterprise who are looking at these technologies and hearing about, you know, again, every vendor is just hyping this to the max, whether there's substance behind it or not. So what advice do you have for people in the enterprise for sifting through the hype so that they'll get something useful from AI? Who wants to start? I mean, I, I can start very quickly. I, I would just say stick with the basics, you know, make the business case, look at the value that's being created. Um, AI, like Ed's saying, is not a checkbox. So it's an enabler. Um, where you see people making claims about AI, I would say, you know, what's the business value and if AI is being used, is it dramatically multiplying the business value or is it something that I could see incremental gains from any other non-AI type solution? I mean, I think when AI is involved, what you're really looking for is uh, the potential to really move the needle, not a 10% gain or a 20% gain, but maybe AI allows you to tackle new problems or allows you to get two, three, you know, 10x type of gains over a more traditional solution. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, what asking that core business question? What are we doing? What's the value? What are we trying to solve? Yeah, absolutely. Stick to that. Um, Keith, your thoughts on advice yeah. to folks in the enterprise who are hearing about this technology, and what should they do? Yeah, my my advice is to um, yeah try to um, calm yourself down when you hear the hype. Uh, a lot of it is it is hype. Um, but there's real value there. Like this is a long-term trend that is just getting started and it is going to transform the way we, you know, business processes are tackled throughout the enterprise. And really focusing on these immediate business use cases like what Sean uh, and Ed were saying is absolutely the right way to go. It's not about the technology, it's about the business process. And, um, 
you know, I would encourage um, enterprises to be, you know, cautious about the hype, but really optimistic about what use cases these can enable, because there are going to be entire new categories, uh, like what Sean was saying, and there's real potential there to transform massive parts of uh, enterprise uh, workflows. So in other words, don't buy into the hype, but focus on the real problems and practical solutions. Absolutely, but still be excited. You, it's okay to be excited about where this is going because there, you know, the long-term trend is there and it is real. Um, it's just people are you know, just a little ahead of itself. That's all. That's a great point. And finally, Ed Sim, your thoughts. Uh, you've been involved with folks in the enterprise for a long time. What's your your advice for people who are hearing the hype and trying to figure out what to do? If someone is selling you AI snake oil and that's their initial pitch, run for the hills. No, <laughs> no the, the reality of it is, is that, you know, for example, it solve a business problem and, and think about what problem you have. And I'm sure AI, some form of AI can help you solve that problem and do it much faster. And there's tons of companies in every category leveraging AI. So, so really make sure you talk to a few different uh, folks, whether it's large companies or startups, uh, hopefully startups, because I, I, I'm the biggest Agreed. guy. And, uh, and the second thing is, is like, you know, as far as new categories, I mean, security scorecard, for example, and, and others in that space create a security ratings market overnight. Uh, and that wouldn't have been enabled without kind of leveraging uh, neural network technology, machine learning, uh, rules-based classification, all that stuff. But they're not going in saying we're an AI security company. They're going and saying, hey, I'm going to help you figure out which third-party vendors that you have uh, that have not kind of patched their security systems and, and might be kind of risky for your for your company. AI or machine learning never gets brought up. So I think the companies that are the best ones are the ones that actually solve a problem and they happen to have amazing, amazing technology, but uh, they're not pitching that as their first kind of entry point. Great advice. And clearly there's a unanimous uh, decision here that the way to go <laughs> is you solve the business problems and find technologies that will enable those problems to be solved in very dramatically better ways. Everybody, thank you so much for watching. You have been watching episode number 222 of CXO Talk. Our guests today have been Ed Sim from Bold Ventures, Sean Chu from Catalytic, and Catalytic, I'm sorry, <laughs> and Keith Brisson from init.ai. I'm Michael Krigsman, and tune in again next week. You can see all of our upcoming shows at cxotalk.com slash episodes. Thanks so much. Bye-bye, everybody. <laughs>